seven statements that stood out to me. These are not what I'm preaching on, but because videos go so fast, I found myself wanting to be like, how did he say that? So I'm just going to read them to you. In my mind, these were the crux of all his wonderful points. So I'm just going to say them for us one more time, and then we'll move into scripture. One of the statements is, a missional church is characterized by a great deal of respect for people who don't believe. In other words, a missional church understands what it's like to not believe. It's like, you don't believe? I get that. I love that principle. Um, another one, non-believers can be there and not be offended by all the cracks about non-Christians, not offended by statements about homosexuality or statements about other religions. So are we getting into compromise there? No, the key is the statements. It's how we talk about what we believe. People will be offended by how we say, we make snide remarks about people and their sexuality. That's not the love of Christ, and that's not going to draw someone to be like, well, I want to hear more. But Christ can have all the opinions that he wants without compromise, but he never brought them to someone with sarcasm or with judgment or with belittling. And that's where we get to go, we, we feel so right. And then the statements we make about our rightness are just harsh. They're, they're mocking, really. Someone could come into a church and feel mocked. We're not allowed to do that. <laughs> And, but for the grace of God, there go we in any and every sin. So we're sinless? No, we understand what it's like. And so I appreciated him talking about those uh, things and how we talk about them. Because that's where the relatability comes in. It's how we talk about these things. All right, another statement he made. Um, they're also not totally confused when they come into a church. Because instead of just using evangelical subcultural jargon, we're always, in all of our conversations, conversations, connecting the gospel to baseline cultural narratives. This is the bridge. This is all I want to talk about today is this bridge. We build the bridge between God and the world. We're, we're, we're standing on that bridge somewhere ourselves, but we're on it and we see it. And we're inviting people to cross with us, but it's not our bridge. And if we don't stay rooted on one side and rooted on the other, we're either no good for the world or no good for heaven. Like we got to be in both. But we stand on the bridge. It's not our bridge. We're just inviting people to cross. So it's got to be connected, which should not be confusing. Because we're like, oh, same world. They're crossing this way. A few more. Um, when non-Christians come in and they see that we inhabit the same world, we read the same magazines, we're struggling with the same issues in the neighborhood, they see we're really being Christians in the same world in which they live. Another quote, they sadly often see an enormous us versus them mentality. There's us good people and you bad people. That's just sadly true. And we all are guilty of it at times. We just don't want that to be. God forgive us for those times. It's all of us and then Christ. Um, last one here. When non-Christians see Christians addressing the common good and the problems we all face as co-citizens in the world, but using Christian resources. That's the phrase of all the, the phrase of words I loved in this. We're addressing the same common problems, but with Christian resources. A little different approach, a little different tactic, a little different tools, a little different skills. It's, it's our way. Christ is teaching us his way. So using Christian resources, therefore, maybe people won't agree with us because we're using tactics or principles or approaches that might not make sense or they might disagree with, but at least they see that we have the same heart. What do you think are the biggest problems in the world right now? And maybe even just localize it to like our part of the world because who can know every problem in the world? But in our world, the one we live in, what are the biggest problems? 
depression, anxiety, and then things to try to fix that. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, yeah, I hear this all the time. It was on my list too. We didn't talk about it. I want to make sure we throw that out there. Depression, anxiety, fear, worry, those sorts of things. What are the Christian resources we bring to bear on those things? Anybody? Give me some. There's a bunch. Prayer. We pray for things. Right. And God works. What else? Community. Community. Yes. We're around each other. You're not alone. What else? Healing. We believe you don't have to always be anyway. You can be this way now and God can do something. You could not be this way at some point in the future if God so chooses. That's a hope kind of message that you're not going to get from a pill bottle. This is just numb it, survive it. Hmm? God's in control. Maybe there's be done with it. And so we bring hope to the table in ways that um, others don't. Give me another issue, another topic. What's a problem in the world today? Busyness. Okay. What Christian resources do we bring to bear on busyness? Sabbath. Sabbath. We practice every week not being busy. One out of seven. What else? Yeah. Uh, discipline. Spending time with God. Yeah. Discipline. Right. Our business will not own us. Right. Yeah. Meditation. Be still. We value stillness. It's not really a popular value. But it works, and it's balanced, and it's healthy, it's good, huh? Not being responsible for everything. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to do it all ourselves and get it all done today. Yeah, Christ teaches us these things, and we bring these Christian resources to bear on common problems. Maybe one more? We could do this all morning, because there's lots of problems in our world. Finances. Finances, okay. Finances, the debt we get into. The lack of a paycheck to pay the bill that's looming. What Christian resources do we bring to bear on our finances? Jamie? I was just thinking in, in human relationships, forgiveness and grace mm. are a unique resource that we work hard to provide. Yes. Compared to or rely on God to give us to execute. Right. It's not always the way of the world. Right. It's a wonderful resource. And we're supposed to be working at it even if not, we're not great at it. It's like in all those areas where we offend or we drop the ball or where we sin against each other. Like, okay, well, let's work at it. Because Christ worked at it for us. <laughs> yeah, Ian. This is a bit of sass, but uh, <laughs> the year of Jubilee and forgiving debts every seven years. Yep. Yep. God's all about forgive the debt. Sin-wise, money-wise, that's Christian principle. I wish the world would do that every seven-year reset. That would be awesome. Change the world immediately. Immediately. All right. Let's read a couple of scriptures together. Both of them are in 1 Corinthians. So if you get there in your Bible, chapter 5 first and chapter 9 second. If you think about it, um, the things we've been talking about on Sunday mornings are Christian skill sets, forgiveness, it's actually a resource then we can bring to bear. Honoring our elders helps to address the problems with how our world treats the elderly, with loneliness in older ages. So like the things we're talking about here on Sundays are our resources. Hospitality, that, that's a way that we build bridges, that's a way that we welcome people, that builds community. Uh, on our Wednesday night, the spiritual formation Zoom that we do once a month, Sabbath, we've already talked about that. Um, simplicity, and the materialism that takes us all over because we see things we like and we're bombarded with things we could like and should like. And 
credit cards that we can just sign up for real quick and it'll make it all happen right now. You know, we're bombarded. We practice things like simplicity. These are our Christian resources. So whether we realize it or not, everything we're talking about on every Sunday and every month, this little focus we have, these are our tools. So offer them. They're, they're best practices in humanity. <laughs> offer them to people who are trying other methods. You know, a person whose life is too busy so they just escape and they go to the bar every night. Okay, that's a practice to deal with stress and overwork and busyness and anxiety. Is it working? No, that's not, not changing anything for sure. It may be prolonging or sustaining, but it's not fixing. So what do we have that we can offer? We have Christ. We're just standing on his bridge. Jesus is the bridge. We're standing on him and him alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. Let's read it together, and then uh, I'll read it to us, and then please share what stands out to you. This is Paul writing to a Christian church, and Corinth was very much like America is now. Lots of similarities. So this is a similar sort of environment, just, you know, rewind in culture. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter. Can I just say this? This is a cool point. This is nerdy Bible trivia. But what book is this? What are we reading? Which one? But what did he just say? I wrote to you in my last letter. Shoot! <laughs> it's not actually 1 Corinthians. It could be 2 Corinthians or 3 Corinthians. We don't know how many he, re he wrote before this. I love that. We have snapshots into how these people, we don't have the exhaustive thing. John says, if I wrote down everything that Jesus ever did or said, it would fill all the books in the world. But I've written what I did in my gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and through him you might have eternal life. So like we get snapshots. So I wonder how cool was Paul's real first letter? Man, I think it was probably awesome knowing Paul. We don't have it. So our 1 Corinthians is at least 2 Corinthians. It's just the first one we have. So a little Bible trivia for you there. There were other letters. This is proof of that. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he's addressing sexuality and how we relate to people and what we accept, what we don't, that sort of thing. But he said, I was not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world or the greedy ones of the world or the swindlers of the world, or the idolaters, since then you would need to get out of the world. You'd have to leave earth if you don't want to spend time with sinful people, with sexually immoral people, with greedy people. So like, we're not trying to get out of earth. He's saying my statements here are for us as believers to know what standard we're striving for and what God thinks. So he turns it to the church. But he says, no, I'm writing to you now not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. So family, like our people, if he or she is guilty of sexual immorality or of greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? The word judge means evaluate, test, examine, hold to a higher standard. Judge not for the purpose of destruction, I judge you, but like what's right, what's not? Can we test it? Can we see? Examine. Is that not what we're supposed to do in love with each other? God judges those who are outside. So therefore purge the evil person from among you. So he's talking about churches that just like let anything go. 
and then wonder why God isn't blessing. And he's also talking to churches that want to judge everybody else and think that everything they're doing is just fine. But I love this statement. <laughs> I'm not saying don't associate with bad people. Otherwise, you'd have to leave earth. <laughs> you can't stay here if you're trying to get away from sinful people. And we know that we are being saved and redeemed, so we're the same. But how do you think that impacts who we associate with? If this is a bridge between the world and God, don't we so often as Christians want to like huddle on the God side of the bridge? with people who are a little more like us and not associate with people who are doing bad stuff? But how are people who are stuck in the world ever going to step foot on the bridge across if we're huddled on the God side so far that we're trying not to associate with them? He's basically saying it's fine to associate with those who don't believe what you believe. You're not allowed to compromise what you believe, but that's not what we're saying here. Actually, he's saying be more intense than ever within your church community about what you believe and what is right and seek after that. He who honors me, I will honor, God says. So like, go after the things of God, all of them, and pursue them and examine them. But sometimes that means we don't associate with the world at all. It's not how Paul treated it, and it's not how he taught it. So fast forward to chapter 9. Flip a few more pages or in your app, scroll down a little bit. 1 Corinthians, which is probably 2nd or 3rd Corinthians. Chapter 9, verse 16 to 23. Same letter, right? Same Paul, same person, same conversation. This is like a sermon. And five minutes before, he says what we just read. Five minutes later, he says the next thing. Same people. Paul says, for if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. You know, he's inviting people onto the bridge. I can't boast about that. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But of not my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Sorry, my translation ESV is very awkward in that phrase. But basically... Um, do it because it's good, but you don't actually have an option. We're doing it. May God's will push us to do this because we are entrusted with this task. So what is his reward? Paul's talking about himself. He feels rewarded that in his preaching, he may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Meaning you don't need to pay for this. I'm not here for the money. Every pastor should feel that way. Every missionary should feel that way. Every ministry that's supported by no donations, serve home should feel that way. The center should feel that way. This is not about being paid to do a task. This is a God thing. And so then, therefore, it is free will rather than charge. Free of charge. Um, he didn't take advantage of his rights in that way. For though I am free from all, so he stands independent. He's not bound by their money. He said, I've actually made myself a servant to all so that I might win more of them, get a few more people to step onto the bridge, which is Christ, which crosses from the world to God. Verse 20. So to the Jews, standing on the edge of the bridge that lands in the Jewish culture, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, same thing, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those outside the law, so where the bridge of Christ comes down and stops in the Gentile nations. To those I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law, because I'm under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So to the weak I became weak, 
that I might win the weak. So I've become all things to all people, all sorts of ways to all sorts of people, so that by all means I might save some. And this gets back to Bob's point. Like we're talking about being saved here. This is not the optional sort of conversation. This is it. This is eternity. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And and this last phrase is just my favorite of them all, that I may share with them in its blessings. It's not Paul's gospel. He didn't share with them so that they could participate with him, but that he, together with them, could participate in Christ. Christ is the bridge. You've probably all seen that very old diagram that has like two cliffs, and then there's a cross that goes in between it, and that cross forms the the bridge between God and man. And in sin, the, the gap was created. We're no longer united with God in fellowship as we were, but that the only way to cross that, this is exactly what we're talking about. This conversation, Timothy Keller's experience and wrestling with how to do that in New York City, is figuring out how to invite people onto Christ's bridge. Not inviting them to join us. We're joining Christ and we're inviting people of all sorts to join us. You know, I looked up the the dictionary definition of relatable and it said, able to be established to have a logical connection to something. It's relatable or to understand, or to like, or have sympathy because of similarities to one's own experiences. So that's relatable. My definition of relatable would be, you and I are the same, and Jesus can help. Because the minute we put ourselves in the position of the helper, we've, what's the right word? Uh, We've taken over Christ's role. We're, We're doing more than we can. We also need the help. And if we don't think that we still need help today, We've forgotten what we're doing here. We're crossing the bridge of Christ from earth to eternity. He's the one that will hold us up. He's faithful. He's crossed it through the cross. He's bridged that gap. So we're inviting people to join us. Here are the things that God said to me. Maybe they could help you as well. This is how Christ gives me hope. Join me. This world over here where you are is a mess and it's sticky and it's confusing and complicated but we might be able to simplify some of that if you would walk with me in this direction. So Paul's last phrase, I do it all for the sake of the good news. And the good news is that we do not have to pay for our sins. If we put our trust in Christ, it's forgiven and atoned and he carries us across the gap. So I do it all for the sake of that message so that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul doesn't consider himself to be all the way there, but he's crossing and he believes and he's going to tell everybody who will listen. Anything in those two scriptures stand out that we need to highlight before I kind of like pull a few points out of it? There's a bunch in there, and if not, that's fine. But does anything stand out that you want to highlight? Ellen? I'd just like to um, give you a, a little example. This yeah. Week, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, you know, Good. So I was Good. talking to him this week, and he's gay. Mm-hmm. And he's about as gay as gay can be. Mm-hmm. Nicest kid in the whole world. Yeah. I love him to death. I was there the day he came home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. He's 50 or whatever. But um, he he really, you know, we, I was talking, because he was talking about how judgmental people sure. are in churches, yep. especially. And he he'd given me three quotes, and I wrote them all down, but they're on my desk. But I tried to remember them. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. Today. Please. Um, he said one of them is, 
um, hateful Christian should be an oxymoron. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. Be careful who you hate. It could be somebody you love. Um, and hmm. the third one, I can't remember. But, <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine something really profound right now. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> Those are great, though. They're wonderful. I'll tell you, you know, I told them, I said, I, I get where you're coming from, Jeff. I really do, because it, it's hard for people who have grown up, you know, with the Bible and that being preached to you to get yeah. beyond it. But I said, the thing is, is, you know, God doesn't count sins as greater or, or lesser. I said, mm -hmm. people that murder, mm -hmm. I said, there's people who tell lies, there's mm -hmm. people who are gluttons, are sinners, mm -hmm. people who drink too much, are sinners. Mm -hmm. I said, so it's not, I said, it just seems like it, it's unfairly being pushed more <coughs> than other things. But mm -hmm. I said, th this is the reason our church is moving its whole mm -hmm. congregation to a city to a place where we can be closer to people who really need help. Because mm -hmm. we really and truly want to help people and we want to love people. And I said, and I, I said, you know, I said, you know I love you. And I said, I don't, I said, you know, I, I can't say I condone mm -hmm. your, what you're doing, but I don't hate you for it. Mm -hmm. I love you no matter what. I said, mm -hmm. you know, so he was, uh, I think it, it, it's, I think there's going to be a, a bridge there that, I, I'm not going to just like not talk to him. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to yeah. actually continue talking to him yeah. and try to get a little wiser in how I say things. Yeah. And maybe someday I can invite him to come to church. That would be great. Um, that would be great. Um, Let me ask the question this way: Is homosexuality the biggest problem in our world right now? Not even close. So let's not make it our biggest agenda. And he even said, it's, um, I, I, I don't understand why people who, he says, I'm not of your faith. Now, he did grow up Catholic. And mm -hmm. I know he went through all, because I'm sure his mother made sure he did. <laughs> Probably. But, but he, I, I think he doesn't know the Bible because they don't teach the Bible. So he doesn't know that what's written here, God wrote. And that's going to be a, a time in another place. But he said, you know, so who are you to tell me how I should act when I don't even believe what you have? Great point. Great question. And, and did this not just exactly say that? Mm -hmm. I can't wait to actually call and tell them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you remember the first, one of the first things that Timothy Keller said was that a Christian knows what it's like, understands what it's like not to believe. So take yourself out of the Christian world that you inhabit, out of your Christian mindset, and say, if you had no concept of God, if he had not given you any standards that you felt you should live towards, what would be wrong about loving someone who loves you back? There would be literally nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. There's so many people that are unloved. There's so many lonely. So when you take the God piece out of it, it actually just makes perfect sense. And that's why people who don't have the God piece are like, this makes perfect sense, because it does. Can we understand that? We have to understand that it makes perfect sense unless there's a God who says, despite how you might feel, 
despite what you're drawn to, despite what logically seems to make sense, there is actually another way or a higher way. And you might not see why. And he said, you might never understand why, but I have my ways. And so come with me and I would like to show you my ways. So it doesn't make any sense to be anti-love, anti-marriage. Unless there's a certain kind of love and or marriage and or sexuality that a God who knows more than we has said, I want you to pursue this. And that applies to anger. It makes perfect sense to be fully angry at the people who wrong you. It does not make sense to let it go. You're justified. It's, it's just. Give them back what they gave to you. But then you turn to God and he's like, actually... There's a way that you don't think that's actually a higher way to think about this sort of thing. And if you'll follow me in this, I could take away that anger and rage that you feel and all the consequences that it causes and show you that forgiveness might be the way to get you out of that spiral that you're in. Not revenge. But it's not normal. Otherwise, everybody would just save themselves and go to heaven. So we have to understand that people who are living in this world, their world makes sense to them. And it would be exactly how we think. We are the same if it weren't for God and Christ showing us something different. A teacher, you know, Christ is our mentor. He's teaching us something like, oh, well, that's a different way to think about that. And then we bring that to bear, a Christian resource. Like, that actually worked. Wow, the more I submit myself to what God thinks, the more things work better. And we pursue him. But we, we, we start at the wrong end of the, the bridge with people sometimes. Please just understand. Like, that makes perfect sense. And he's right about the judgment of church, and we're just as guilty. So God forgive us and help us to understand and to say, okay, I understand where this bridge lands in areas of sexuality. I understand where Christ lands in areas of judgment. But if we'll just cross together... There's more. There's better. His way is good. It's narrow, but it's right, and it leads to life, and it's worth it, and it might not make sense. And it's okay for us to say we don't understand how it's going to work out. And talk to someone who's struggling specifically in areas of sexuality. Like, you try to turn off your sexuality. You try to change it. Go ahead. It doesn't work that way. So what will they learn as they walk with God in this? How can you love them in that? How can you love yourself in your own areas that you're struggling in the sexual realm? Yeah, some things are harder to hide, you know? The young girl who gets pregnant is harder to hide than the man who's addicted to pornography at home. They're both sins, and God sees. So we're not the judge. We're just, hey, get on the bridge. This is a cool bridge. Maybe it's even one of those, like, mobile walkway bridges in the airports. Just get on. Jesus will, like, take you across from one side to the other. And even if you fall over and are laying down, you're just going to, like, slowly creep your way. You will get there. He promises he will take us across the gap despite ourselves. All right, here are some statements that I'd like to, to make that summarize some of these thoughts. Um, thank you, Ellen, for that. That was perfect. Pray for Ellen that she just knows how to show love and be a bridge to speak God in human terms and to join someone at the foot of the bridge. The first statement that I want to make is that Jesus is relatable. Start there. He's not some weird, freaky dude. He's just like amazing and loving and kind and wise and awesome. And people who don't believe in Christianity still respect Jesus. So just go there. In your own life, go there. Relate to Jesus. Let him relate to you. In your conversations, bring Jesus to bear. Think about all the places where he was, the people he had meals with. You think he was at the meals with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and like trying to not associate with them? Like only eating on the right side of the table because like the tax collector was here? 
He associated with immoral people. Do that. Do that. I need to do that. You need, we, need to, we need to do that. Otherwise, no one will get to heaven because it's the invitation of those who are lost to join God across this bridge that makes that possible. So please associate with people in this world who need Jesus. He's very relatable. It's what he did. It's what he did. Second statement, um, relatability means loving both God and people. And by personality, you're probably going to be better at one or the other. And so you'll need to decide for yourself which is the greater challenge. You may love people so much that it feels hard to like, agree with God when he makes hard statements. You might want to put parts of the Bible away. Um, you might not feel close to him, but you've got a great circle of friends. Like, people may be easier for you than God, and that's for any number of reasons. So dig into your love for God because it's going to make you a better friend. And it's going to help all those people that you do care about so much. But there's others of us who may be the more introverted, more introspective. And we love God and we love spending time with Him. We need to get out of our shells a little bit more and love people a little bit better. And that's going to happen automatically in some ways as we move. And I'm grateful for that. But long for that. Pray for that. Look for that. Love that. Love people. Because when you're loving people and loving God, which is the greatest commandment, so it's the two ends of the bridge. They're anchored. And just like a bridge has to have integrity, it can't be compromised. We can't compromise the bridge. Jesus is who he is. So don't. Don't at all. Do you think Jesus compromised himself in any of his conversations? No. He just offered truth with love. He offered love. <laughs> and it led to truth. He offered hope and forgiveness. And it led to salvation. Like he's, He was so good at it. And we're just... So we're learners. We're apprentices, right? We're trying to be like him. But this is what relatability is. <clears throat> it's the bridge. And um, you need to love both God and people. It's not given us as an option to focus on one or the other. All right, the third of my four statements is that relatability is not relativism. So for those of you that have thought about the postmodern society that we live in, kind of like post-truth, post-facts, everybody thinks what they want to think, and what's right for you is right for you, relative, right? This is not good. <laughs> but it kind of feels like if I'm trying to relate to everybody, then i got to kind of like give up a lot in the process. But again, did Jesus? I don't think he did. So therefore, there's a way not to. There must be a way to relate to everyone and not become relative in our own beliefs. Not to give up the farm just to make a friend. There's, because he did it. So I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm, I'm probably in every conversation like Ellen had there. When you have it, just say a quick prayer. Because <laughs> it's not easy to know how to build that bridge. But it's possible. It's possible. You know, if you think about where a post-Christian society goes, it, it most often leans towards universalism. Sort of like any path is a path to God. And this drives very well with a lot of Eastern philosophies. Buddhism um, goes this way very, very easily. Um, and it, it's sort of the philosophy that you know, take your route, different paths, different branches uh, will lead you to, to God. But in some concept, we're, we have points of agreement. I don't agree with that statement, but if someone believes that there's a God and I believe there's a God, that might be a point of connection. If someone believes that there's sin in the world, there are things that are wrong, okay, that's a point of connection. What is it actually that makes us different? What is like the core belief? The core belief is the uniqueness of Christ. There has never been anyone like him. There is no one like him, and there will never be anyone like him. So he does something that no one else can do. 
He's the Savior. He saves. That being said, we can actually agree about a lot of things, but we have to get to the point where I'm not just agreeing on everything. I'm bringing Jesus into the conversation because he's the one thing that is different than all the other things. If you follow uh, Islam, if you're a good practicing Muslim, you will have your practices, your, your pilgrimages and your alms and your prayers and things that you do. So the religion of Islam will teach you to be a good person how they define it. If you follow the Jewish practices before Christ came and gave them even more fuller meaning, it would be, here are your festivals, here are your days for celebration, here are your rituals, this is how we live a good life. That's us. Here's your marching orders. Be good. That's actually every human principle and system and religion. Here's what's good, here's what's bad. Be good. But then all of us realize we can't do it. We're not good. Our heart's not good. So you can tell me a hundred times to do a good thing, but if I don't want to, I'm just not going to do it. That's where Jesus comes in, the grace piece. He changes us and he does things for us. He carries us. Take my yoke upon you, for my, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Learn from me, for I am gentle in spirit. You'll find rest for your souls. He's the shepherd. Grace does things for us that we can't do on our own. So we don't have to be afraid about there's someone I'm talking to and I'm agreeing with them on this point and this point and this point. Just bring it to Jesus. Bring it all the way in. Do you believe in a God? Cool. I believe in a God. What do you think about Jesus? Or not even a question to them. Just state your belief. The thing I love about Jesus is what he has done for me and how he's changed me and there's no one like him. So we bring Christ in. That is the integrity in the bridge because he's the bridge. Be willing to have lots of conversations about all the extras and the ancillaries and the secondaries. And, but bring it to Jesus. And therefore, it is not relativism. We're relating on every level, but we're bringing it to Christ. It automatically makes it uncompromised orthodoxy when you bring it to Jesus. It's simple, but it's true. Bring the conversation to Jesus and it automatically is no longer relative and postmodern. And the last thing is a little bit of a cautionary statement. Um, defensiveness is not a defense of the faith. That makes sense? When you're in a conversation with someone you're getting defensive, you're not doing a good job defending your faith in that moment. That's not the same thing. Being defensive. So this is like how conversations go on Facebook all the time. Someone makes a statement, someone makes an opposite statement, and all of a sudden they're just like arguing. They're becoming defensive, and then they're attacking and saying hurtful statements about someone. Like, we don't need to defend God. We need to share Him. You don't, like, God's fine, guys. You don't have to prove Him to anybody. You don't have to make sure that you explain it so that they understand. He's like, God, if He wants to, He'll like stop their heartbeat in a second. Or bless them more amazingly than they've ever met. Like, he's in control. And sometimes when we get into these conversations, they become heated with people who believe other things. You, you can let God handle their emotions that they're throwing at you. We're not actually called to prove God to people. We're called to show him. Live it out. Talk about it. Love Jesus in other people's presence. Relatability without compromise. Like I said, I feel it's saying, we're the same, you and me. <laughs> and Jesus has the answers. So I'm going to have us turn back to our groups for just a second and think about what this could be like. Um, 
for us this week. Will we go out of our way to start a conversation with someone maybe? Is that we'll try to relate to someone that's different than us? Um, will you perhaps invite someone over to your home or do some hospitality with someone who's very different than you so you can create a place to talk about faith? Um, Maybe you just need to take time to think about yourself and do you love God more or people more and how to build that bridge. There's a lot of ways you could go with this, but just take a couple of minutes now before we move into communion and um, think about what this could look like this week. Experiments and relatability without compromise.